Father, we ask for your grace here this morning to hear your word. We pray for all those, of course, who are at home uh, dealing with illnesses and sicknesses, that your hand of healing would be on them. You would help them to suffer well through illness, to pull through it, that you would clothe them with your Holy Spirit and use this as a time of rest and comfort, or that you would bring them closer to you and your hand of healing would be upon them through Jesus Christ. Amen. So, today's the first Sunday after Christmas. And so there are 12 days in Christmas, so that means we have two weeks, two Sundays in Christmas this year. I guess that's every year. But uh, just to, if people aren't really familiar with the church calendar uh, that we go off of and the scriptures are off of, and so the Advent, Advent, time of Advent starts the Christian New Year, that's when we celebrate when our year, uh, the church calendar starts, and it follows the life of Christ, and so uh, we're in our second part of our second season, which is Christmas, uh, and then we have seven Sundays in Epiphany. Uh, we can't, I can't do like a normal thing on 930 where I like ask a bunch of people questions and they respond because most of you are online, but does anybody know what Epiphany means? A, rev- a revelation. A uh, uh, telling of, right? If you have an epiphany, you, you realized something. Uh, it's a showing. So for seven Sundays, we celebrate Christ's epiphany, uh, or how he's revealed to the world. We've got Transfiguration Sunday, and everybody knows uh, Lent. We have a season of Lent, Holy Week, Easter, uh, and then there's some ordinary time in there at, at one point, uh, which is actually after epiphany. Uh, then Pentecost, and then back to a whole season of of ordinary time before we get back to Advent. And so, for our Christmas, first Sunday in Christmas, our scripture readings are Luke 2, 41 to 52. And so, we're just going to look at those this morning and kind of just go through them. So, this is the one account we have of Jesus uh, in between the only account in the Gospels we have of Jesus in between uh, his birth and his ministry. And so Luke is the only one that records this. And so I'll read it, and then we'll, we'll kind of just go through it line by line. Uh, now it's uh, Luke two forty-one to 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know about it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he answered them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house or about my father's business? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. 
and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And so again, this is the only account we get of Jesus between his birth and beginning of his ministry. And so Luke records this for a specific purpose, I think, and we kind of want to look at that. And so the time frame is, is in verse 41 now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of the Passover. So in the Passover feast, that was one of the three major festivals that were required to be celebrated, three major festivals each year in the Jewish custom. And so the feast of Passover was seven days long. And so that's commemorating in Exodus when uh, Israel was in bondage and slavery to Egypt and uh, God had shown them 10 miraculous or nine miraculous signs at that point of judgment against Egypt and he was leading them out uh, into the wilderness and eventually to the promised land. And the Passover feast, they had a feast before the 10th plague where the firstborn son was, uh, was going to take, take on wrath, take on punishment and die. Uh, and the only way to be saved was to, to take the blood of a spotless lamb and put it on the doorpost. Uh, you were supposed to have a feast, eat quickly, and then there was going to be the exodus the next day. And so the setting behind this is that it wasn't the Feast of the Booths. It wasn't, uh, the feast, it wasn't Pentecost, the two other festivals. It was the Feast of, of Passover. And so for seven days, they're commemorating and celebrating the exodus from Egypt, the Passover lamb. They're telling these stories. These are, there's uh, vivid pictures and accounts and recollections and scripture readings every day for seven days. And so this is fresh in their minds, the Passover lamb, the exodus from Egypt. Um, you know, as uh, one thing that, you know, often gets skipped over maybe in our readings, but it's... Uh, probably would have been fresh in mind in the, in the Jewish mind is when they were leaving Egypt, all the Egyptians were just like giving them gold and silver and they were plundering them. Uh, and they were just giving them all this stuff. They're just like supreme victory as God leads them out, right? And so um, this isn't necessarily, this isn't in our reading, but a, a Jewish custom is on the seventh day that they don't stop at when they left Egypt, right? That's not exactly where the Exodus stops. They leave and, oh great, we're here. No, uh, they usually recollect the, the story, the historic narrative, up until the Red Sea, up until they cross over, when they're finally free from Egypt, right? When Pharaoh changes his mind, leads, them, <clears throat> leads an army out against them, <coughs> excuse me, and God deliver, delivers them with a mighty hand uh, yet again through the waters. And so this is really fresh in their minds, right? This is why, one of the reasons why Jesus picked the Passover. And so verse 42, And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. So Jesus wasn't <coughs> considered a man of the law yet, right? As an adult in, in the Jewish eyes, he would have been required to attend the feast. He would have been acquired. Uh, it was in, their, in that time period, in their custom, that after you celebrate your bar mitzvah, after you're 13 years old in one day, then you're obligated to the law, to the obligations and the punishments. And so um, as we go into this, it's, uh, he, he's just a boy, right? He's, he's not even in their culture considered a man yet. There's no obligation for him. So when he does what he does, 
uh, take into account the, the humblingness of, of how young he was. Verse 43, And when the feast was ended, they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, and they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and they did not find him. They returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And so make no mistake uh, that Jesus very purposefully stayed behind. He very purposefully didn't tell his parents. He could have easily said, uh, Mom, Dad, I'm going to stay behind. I got some business to handle. I'm going to do something. Uh, you guys just go along. I'll catch up with you in a few days. Right? He could have done that. Uh, it was very purposefully done that he didn't tell his parents. Uh, it doesn't give us indication why. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why I didn't tell my parents things growing up. But <laughs> uh, that's uh, probably less of a, of a wholly mature reason, right? But, you know, so in this case, it's no, it's no sin that Jesus commits, right? We often have this view <clears throat> that, uh, uh, that, you know, it must have been great, you know, to raise Jesus because he was just so perfect and holy. Well, based on Mary's response, uh, it wasn't, she wasn't too happy, right? She wasn't happy even though he had done nothing wrong. All right, so at verse 46, after three days they found him in the temple. So one of the things that, that happens in Scripture is we have various themes and patterns, and, and we know all of this account only because, from what we can presume, is because Mary treasured them in her heart, and she held on to these things. But so, um, especially in the Gospel of, of Luke, what we see here is this foreshadowing, this three days all throughout Scripture, We've been trained. If you've been, if you read through scriptures, you find three days here, three days here, and on three days something happens, right? And so, in this sense, what I think, what I think, uh, Luke is getting at, or what we have an allusion to, is that to Mary and Joseph, Jesus is essentially lost or dead. If they don't find him, then he's as good as dead to them, right? Just like uh, when when Joseph. Uh, was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was told he was dead. He wasn't physically dead, but then to his father, he was as good as dead, right? And, uh, and so in this case, what I think is we have this illusion of to them, he's as good as dead. To Mary and Joseph, he's as good as dead. If they never find him, if some uh, ill or some evil had fallen upon him and maybe he got ta taken captive by robbers, uh, maybe something happened uh, and he's just lost and he's, he's dead to them, right? But we have a resurrection when they find him, right? But in Scripture, we have this three-day th three theme. So on the third day of creation, we have fruitfulness. Uh, in, in Egypt, especially after, you know, in the Passover, they would have recounted all the ten plagues and for three days, darkness was on the land of Egypt. Uh, Moses requested, right, in the same same uh, book of Exodus, Moses requested Pharaoh that they go a three days journey out into the wilderness so that they can worship, right? They didn't ask to go a one day's journey. It wasn't a two days journey. It was a three days journey, right? It was very purposefully, right? Joseph uh, later on interprets in the book of Genesis uh, the cupbearer and the breadmaker's dreams that they each have three days left, one before he gets lifted up and one before he gets executed. Uh, and of course, 
of course, Jonah in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. So uh, I actually just had a, uh, we're doing an Old Testament survey with the India uh, Bible study with the guys in India, and um, we're going through the first four chapters, three chapters of Genesis very, very slowly. And so we're, we went over the third day of creation, and I'm not sure why God chose three days. It could be an allusion to the Trinity. It could be an allusion to uh, something else. I'm not sure, but a three-day theme is very prominent. And so one also that I want to bring out uh, is that even in, in, gospel, in Luke's gospel, that uh, Christ feeds the crowd with the loaves and the fish miraculously. It says, after they had been with him three days. And so after the, the reader is supposed to get that, after three days, like something miraculous is going to happen, something very special, right? Sometimes on one hand, that's judgment. Sometimes on another hand, those, those are miracles, um, deliverances, things like that. And so we're supposed to, we're primed and ready for Christ's resurrection, and so uh, the reader is supposed to understand, you know, especially if you're just reading the Gospels like a story that uh, when Christ is in the grave for three days, we should expect something miraculous, right? But Mary found him uh, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And so what's mar- what, you know, the more you, I think the more you meditate on this, the more you think about this, uh, Christ, as a 12-year-old boy, he's in the very temple he's going to get arrested and tried in. The very temple um, of God's, God's dwelling place, of where the, the, the presence of God is, where they worship. The, head of, the height of worship is there. And so these are very likely the same teachers that are going to condemn him in, in, in about 20 years, right? Uh, but notice what he's doing after three days. For three days, this is where his parents find him, is what is the special thing that's happening? What are we supposed to look for? What are we supposed to see? He's asking questions. He's being a man of understanding. Right? These are the greatest teachers in all of Israel. These weren't like, you know, um, if we were to have like a conference or something of pastors in Dayton and we would have like, you know, some maybe prominent guys who know a lot of stuff and do stuff, that'd be like pretty good teachers, maybe, I would hope. Uh, I don't know if any of us would make it there. But, uh, <laughs> but then if you had a national conference of teachers, you would have like the, the biggest guys who know the most and have the best understanding and wisdom, right? This was that kind of meeting. This was the, uh, the height of the teachers uh, and the lawyers uh, in Israel. And so these weren't like your local teachers. These were, uh, this was Jerusalem. It was national. It was a high feast. And these are the people that were amazed at his understanding, right? And so what's amazing about this is after three days, what do they find him doing? Understanding, asking questions, essentially uh, teaching, right? His ministry of, of teaching. This is a foreshadowing of the gospel proclamation of the of the, one of the missions that Christ was coming to do. And so it's amazing when you think about it of this 12-year-old boy sitting in the temple and they're amazed at his understanding. And one of the things that, that I think brings out is 
you know, they were amazed at his questions, right? The same types of questions that Jesus later asked uh, in his ministry, like, how can they say that the, that the Christ is David's son? For David himself, in the book of Psalms, says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. David thus calls him Lord, so how is he his son? All right, that was the last question. That last question he asked the Jews before they decided not to ask him any more questions. <laughs> uh, right, this is a foreshadowing of its understanding of the same types of questions that were going to get him in trouble with the Pharisees later and the teachers in Jerusalem were the same types of questions that they were amazed at by a 12-year-old boy from, from a carpenter of no standing, of no, uh, no great teaching that he had had, right? And so Christ is even now beginning to bring about the aspects of his ministry that he's going to bring a new wineskin. And so it would be, just picture that for a minute of a 12-year-old boy sitting in like a national conference of pastors who know the most and are the best teachers and they're just kind of like, wow, this kid, like I never really thought about that that way. That's, that's amazing, right? Christ was foreshadowing his ministry. Um, <clears throat> and so what were they discussing? Well, the scriptures don't really give us insight, but uh, what I would like to think is what most people uh, discuss and most of the uh, discussions came about even in Christ's ministry was the law, the interpretation of the law. But also, um, at this point in, in history, they have Daniel's revelation of 490 years before the Christ comes. And so one thing that isn't necessarily brought out in these passages, but is most likely discussed, uh, like in Christ's ministry, is who is the Christ? What are they looking for? And so there's, there's this kind of this cultural milieu in all of Jerusalem for uh, 50 to 75 years of like they're looking for this Christ figure. They know he's coming. Daniel's time is like almost up and he's coming soon. And none of them probably would have thought that it was this 12-year-old carpenter boy, right? Carpenter's son. Um, and so even now he's starting to uh, bring about a new wineskin of revelation, a new understanding that even the heights and, and depths of the teachers in Israel's wouldn't understand, that they were going to miss it, right? This is a foreshadowing of when Christ is an adult, that he's asking the same types of questions, yet they're taking offense at him, right? So verse 48, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. So Mary was genuinely offended at his actions. Uh, yet it's Jesus who corrects Mary for her response. Right? And so if you were to, this uh, account from that Mary treasures in her heart is inserted between Christ's birth and when his ministry starts. And so at Christ's birth, it's like Jesus is saying, don't you remember the prophecies? Don't you remember what the angels told about you? Why aren't you trusting what the Lord has already shown you? Why aren't you, why were you even, why were you worried, right? Um, it's often, uh, it's, I just think it's interesting that it was Mary that was the one that is the one who's taking the charge here of like, why have you treated us so? It's always mothers who do that. 
Often mothers were very worrisome, and it seemed to Mary was no different. Right? And, but Jesus' response, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Right? He's like, why didn't you find me? Why, why is this the last place you looked? It says that they journeyed uh, one day out, couldn't find him. They journeyed another day back, and so three days means they spent another day in Jerusalem looking for him. And this was not the first place they went looking. This was, uh, just like anything you look for, it's the last place you look that you find it. Right? But it's almost like Jesus is saying, is this the last place you looked for me? Why did you start searching anywhere else? This is where you should have understood I was, I've been. Uh, and he says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Or did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And so Jesus is, is saying, even as a young man, um, not a 12-year-old boy, that didn't you know that this was the purpose for me coming? This is why I'm here, right? This is what I do. I don't, I don't do anything uh, superfluously or I don't do anything just because it's fun. This is my whole life is about my father's business, right? We see in Luke 19 uh, that Jesus gives the parable of the, the ten minas, uh, and he, he charges them as he hands out these stewardship, this, this gift from the, the master to the servant, and he tells them, occupy until I return, or engage in business until I return. That's the command, and that's the example we have from Christ. As we occupy, we take the land, we engage in business until he returns, Right? We are supposed to, as an, as an imitator of God, uh, the only maybe wrong interpretation we can get when we uh, imitate God is that he rested on the seventh day, and so then we should, but he wasn't resting in a lackadaisical way where he wasn't doing anything purposefully, even in his rest. He tells us in Exodus and, and Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy that that was for our purpose, that we would be in an ex- he would be an example for us. Right, so everything God does is full of purpose. Second Corinthians five talks about that. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Right, that we would be uh, ambassadors of Christ on His behalf to bring forth the ministry of reconciliation. That's our mission. That's what Christ came to do was to reconcile us to the Father, and that's what the mission He gives to us. And so when He says in the parable to occupy until He returns. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to occupy, take ground. We're supposed to be about our Father's business. We're supposed to think about that day and night. We're supposed to, uh, much like maybe when Jesus was in the temple and the question's like, how do we take God's law and enact it here? How do we deepen God's law? How do we have a better understanding? How do we have a deeper revelation of the Christ? How do we take the mission of God and how does it come into history? How does it come into reality? What does that mean for me? Right? It's always, um, you know, I love discussing theology and I love discussing uh, theonomy of like, how do we do this and how do we do that? Or what would it be? And it's all of these like theoretical things. It's like, well, um, like I follow a Facebook group which is like theonomy, question and answers. And everyone like posts these articles about like something that happened in the law. And it's like, was this legal in God's law or was it not? And that's, those are good questions to ask, but it's all theory because they're not doing anything about it. <laughs> it's all just sitting at a desk behind a computer and talking. Uh, 
what I love is practical theology of how do we really engage in business until he returns, right? Like the parable of the, the ten minas and, and the talents that Jesus says is, there was one that got ten, he produced double and got twenty, had twenty. There was one that was given five, he produced double and got ten. But there was one who had one and he didn't do anything except for bury it, right? He didn't occupy, he didn't take dominion, he didn't work, he didn't produce interest, right? And that's our, uh, that is our mission. That is what Jesus is sending us on. And so oftentimes we see that uh, we become, uh, if anyone has the same kind of sentiments that I do or same thought process <clears throat> that I do is I think often of the parable of Matthew 13, Luke 8, Mark 4 of the sower and the seeds. And uh, I don't think I fall into the classification of the devil uh, Satan stole the seeds and plucked it out of me, and I don't care anymore. Uh, I don't think I often fall into the classification of the one who sprouts up quickly and then withers because of persecution. Um, not that I know of. Uh, you guys want to grab the front door? Um, but it's the third one. It's the, par- it's the seed that grows and looks like a mature tree but doesn't produce any fruit. It's worthless. It has a, a, a shell of a tree, but it can't produce anything, and it didn't produce anything worthwhile, which is its fruit, right? And that's because of the cares of riches and, and stuff in the world. And so I think that's most of us, is what our, the danger is, is falling into the cares of the riches, and we have this shell of, of Christianity, but... Uh, but whether we're producing fruit or not, whether we are occupying, whether we are taking new ground, whether we are actually being ministers of reconciliation, right? In Second Corinthians, Paul uh, puts that specifically in context of reconciling us to God. But we're ministers of reconciliation for every aspect of life, for the economy. God's law has a lot to say about the economy, Right, God has God's law has a lot to say about how we operate in a community, and we're supposed to take new ground and be reconcilers of God, not just of people, but of all of creation. In every aspect, we should be thinking about how do we take the the grace of the Lord and extend it into every aspect of creation. Right, by verse fifty, uh, and they did not understand the sayings that he spoke to them. Right. At that time, Mary, Joseph, uh, Mary and Joseph didn't understand what the heck he was talking about, right? Uh, Mary just treasured it up in her heart um, in some way to, to recollect the story and what happened, and later on, it was revealed to us. But it doesn't say that they were just like, yeah, I get what you're saying, Jesus. Thank you for uh, worrying us for three days and thinking you might have been dead and found you in the temple uh, talking to teachers and astonishing them. They didn't say that. So they, they just didn't understand what the heck he was talking about, right? So sometimes even those closest to you won't understand where God is taking you. And so Jesus knew what he was about. He knew what he, he was about the Father's business. He knew he was a man on a mission. And uh, I like Luke's gospel. 
I like looking through the Gospels, particularly and seeing like what are the differences and why did they account for, and what accounts for the differences, right? And so in each Gospel, there's uh, major themes presented. And what I like about Luke's Gospel um, is that the whole major theme is the miraculous birth of Christ, is the crisis finally here, and then uh, we get this glimpse of when he was a 12-year-old boy, and nobody understood that he was the Christ. Not even his like parents like really got what he was doing. And so at this point, Mary and Joseph are probably still frustrated. And then you jump just a couple chapters into when he starts his ministry. Luke decides to take the account where he goes back to Nazareth and he's preaching to his own people. And they receive him with joy and they say, this is the Christ. No, <laughs> they're like, this guy's a blasphemer and let's run him off this cliff. Let's kill him, right? And so through Luke's gospel, uh, the, one of the major themes is even his own people, his own family didn't understand what he was about. And he went to his own people in Nazareth and they tried to kill him. And it's in, it's in Luke chapter nine where Jesus it says that he sets his face like flint to go to Jerusalem, why does he have to go to Jerusalem? Why can't he go to Syria? Why did he set his face towards Jerusalem? It's the city of God, but he was a man on a mission for crucifixion. And his whole purpose uh, from Luke 9 on is about getting to Jerusalem because there's no other place that a prophet should die apart from Jerusalem. This is the city that stones the prophets and kills those who are sent to, sent to her. And so uh, Luke's making this, this vivid imagery all throughout his gospel that those closest to Christ didn't quite get what he was about. They didn't understand him. Not even his parents understood. And they had angels giving them dreams and miraculous signs from God and, and virgin births. And they're just like, I don't get it. <laughs> Why did you do their... You know, it doesn't say this in, in the Gospels, but you kind of get this idea from Mary of like, you know, when someone's offended, all they can think about is, why did you do this to me? Why did, why, just give me an answer. And give me an answer that satisfies my, my hurts. And uh, although Mary doesn't say that directly, you kind of get this idea because she's not understanding. But again, she's treasuring it. Uh, something caused her to, continue to think about this and, and keep it so that Lord Luke could record it, right? And so verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up these things in her heart. Last verse, verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So how does Jesus increase in wisdom and in stature and especially how does he increase in favor with God? We can understand how he increases in favor with man, right? He is, he is God in the flesh, uh, and we can increase in favor, right? But oftentimes we think uh, we kind of get this uh, low view of Christ or we forget uh, about his deity and his humanity, that in his deity he submitted himself to humanity. So he became a real person and had to really grow. And in some sense, although he was the incarnate uh, 
uh, embodiment of all wisdom and his omnipotence and omniscience, he still had to increase in wisdom. He still was veiled in the flesh of where he grew, right? Um, you know, going back to, you know, uh, what I said a little bit earlier, it probably wasn't very frustrating for Mary growing up, not because he was perfect and obedient all the time, it's because even in his humanity, even in his deity, there was probably misunderstandings like this, uh, right? You could understand why a teenager wouldn't tell his mom where he's going. I think everybody would, <laughs> would get that, uh, right? But he was in, in no part wrong in that. And so Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, right? And so as he's growing, he is our example uh, that we would be led by. He is increasing in wisdom and in stature or in years. And so how is he increasing in favor with God? Didn't God uh, love him as his only beloved son before, before time began? Yes. Yes, he did. Uh, and so how did he increase in favor? Well, in this, he's increasing in, in blessing. And as, just as he submitted himself in humanity, how we increase in favor is as we increase in faithfulness, and as we are proven faithful, we increase in the blessings of God. We actually increase in, in that sense in the favor of God, right? Just like Jesus, when I was bringing out the parable of the, the ten minas, of where he gives out ten and five and one, and he says, occupy until I come, well, the one who had 10 got 20. He produced double, right? And so uh, he was giving, given something by the master and he was able, he was given more than the other two, right? So he was able pr to produce more than the other two. So he had to be that level of faithfulness. And so he could grow in that level of faithfulness and blessing. The one who had five didn't have 10, but he had more than one, so that's what he was given. So that's how much he had to be faithful with the five. And he also produced double. And so uh, our Lord grew in the same way. He grew in the same way as he submitted himself to, to humanity. And he leads us as that example. And so we, we can increase in the blessings and in the favor and in, in stature with God. And that's what he's leading us into, right? Jesus was a man on a mission. He was about his father's business, and as he continued in that, he in increased in favor. And so that's what we're called to do, uh, to be men and women on a mission, to grow uh, in faithfulness, in wisdom, uh, and, and in that, the Lord will bless us as we continue to be ambassadors to Christ. And so uh, with that, let's end in prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would lead us uh, as an example. You would uh, open our minds to the scriptures, to have the understanding and the wisdom of Christ, that we would be about your business. We would be ambassadors of Christ, and you would cause us to think daily about how we can bring uh, your realm, your presence, uh, your kingdom here on earth, how we can be faithful to you, Lord. Lead us in your ways and guide us through Jesus Christ. Amen.